What is going on, everybody? I am Greg Hellback, and my co-host, Michael Pinter, and I are bringing you another episode of the New York Real Estate Investing Show. This show is all about how to be successful in New York State, one of the best places and one of the most difficult places to do business in. And each and every week, Michael and I are going to bring awesome content to everybody who wants to learn how to do this business successfully in New York. Between the both of us, we have done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deals. We've made millions of dollars and we've also made a ton of mistakes. So if you want to try your best to avoid those mistakes, definitely take a listen to this podcast. Every single week, we are going to provide actionable tactical steps on how you can be successful investing in the Empire State of New York. Stay tuned and welcome to the show. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the NYREI show. I'm your host, Greg Helbeck, with co-host Michael Pinter. We're both hosts. I don't know where the hell I'm. I'm like, I'm, I'm Josh Dork and you're Brandon Turner from the Bigger Pockets. <laughs> um, anyway, not really. Uh, so today we're going to talk about something that is, is, once again, it's similar to what we talked about in our last show, but it's, it's really rehabbing houses in New York, rehabbing one-on-one. I think there's definitely different levels of rehabbing, and uh, we want to just t- cover the basics today and, and really what to do when you're going to rehab a house, why you should rehab some houses, um, what to know when it comes to rehabbing houses, why it's different in New York. Um, and, and I think by the end of this, this call, everyone will definitely have some clarity on really what the truth is about renovating properties in general and specifically in New York. So Michael, I know um, you're a pretty good uh, person to talk to about this because you started your career. I think you the first you know four or five years, you only rehab, gut rehab. By the way, gut rehabbing is a nightmare. Like just that's a it's basically new construction without building a house. So like, tell us everyone, like how your journey as a rehabber when you first got started and then how you eventually got out of recovery. Sure. When I started in the business, I didn't really understand the concept of wholesaling. I thought wholesalings were like, uh, you know, Neanderthals that sort of made a dollar on a deal. And the only people that could really create value were people that were going to do major rehab. The concept didn't even enter my mind. And I, um, bought houses, pretty much exclusively at the live auctions in my county, in Nassau County, New York. I went every Tuesday and I prepared every Monday. So I was spending two days a week on, on, on the auctions. And then I, to me, it, it didn't, in my mind, the only way to make these things work was to do major innovation. So every property I did, I looked at it from the perspective of what, what can I do to make this beautiful? What can I do to make this the nicest house in the area? And it usually involved, you know, a lot of major construction, taking down walls, redoing roofs, and in the beginning, I didn't, I didn't really understand the concept of doing less. And I always wanted to do more. And that was foolish because very often the things that I did because I would like them or because I thought that everyone would like them were the first things that the, that the, uh, the buyers ended up undoing. So, yeah. But, yeah. I didn't, I, but to me, rehabbing was the only way that I understood to make money in this business. It did, nothing else computed in my brain that there was other ways to actually do this. So every job I did was a long process it took months and months and um every time it was like a cat and mouse game with when we're talking about local municipalities of whether i get permits or whether i didn't get permits and that was there were a lot of issues every time and uh, um rehabbing is is a is a great thing and i i made money on almost every deal i did i think i lost money on three and we can talk about why i lost money uh later but um but rehabbing is, it's a part of the business. Even if you're wholesaling, you're going to sell it to a rehabber. So you need to understand, have some understanding of rehabbing, because if you don't, then you're not going to really understand uh, what the number you should be putting out, out your wholesale deals to, uh, is. Yeah, no, hundred percent. 
let's let's cover the first part now. So like actual costs of construction. You know, as we're recording this, there's the COVID pandemic happened, and, and now materials have gone up. So we don't need to regroup, like beat a dead horse there. That's obvious. It's going to be more expensive. But when it comes to construction on a single, let's just do single family home because that's more straightforward. What? Um, hey, is your is your internet working? Oh, Michael. Oh. Yep, you're kind of floating in and out. Yeah, you're good. You're good now. You there? Okay. We're I'm both here. on the road. Yeah, we're we're both on the road right now. So hotel room Wi-Fi can get a little hairy. Um, I think you're back. Right. Your audio, as long as your I'm audio here. is good. Yeah, you're, 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 yeah, as long as your audio is good. Yep. Um, oh, you there? I can hear you. I, I've heard every word you said. Okay, cool. Can you not hear me? No, I can hear you. I can hear you. Your, your, your video is a little funky, but whatever. Um, so when it comes to construction and rehab costs, that's the number one thing I think a lot of new investors are intimidated about, which makes sense why they're intimidated about that, because generally they're probably have never dealt with construction. I certainly, I never dealt with this construction until I got involved in the business. So when it comes to accurately assessing rehabbing costs, what is there like, do you have a rule of thumb that you follow? Or how do you go about looking at a property to figure out what it's going to cost to repair that property, assuming it needs everything? So I, I don't, I don't have a rule of thumb. I know there are people that use basic uh, square footage, but for me, since I've bought so many houses where I didn't have to do certain things, where there was a bathroom that was okay, or there was a kitchen that just needed council tiles to need the whole kitchen. So I don't gut renovate everything. So I, I go through a house and I can come up with a number really quickly. This is a kitchen. It's going to cost me 15 grand. This is a bathroom. It's going to cost me five grand. It needs a roof. It's probably going to be eight grand. Like I just go through it and just quickly come up with a repair estimate. And it's uh, people don't talk about it, but one of the hardest things that I had to do when I was got rehab, got renovating was figuring out what to do and what not to do. It's not so mm -hmm. simple, right? And for me, because I don't always know what I'm going to do, what I'm not going to do, um, and I don't just got renovate everything uh, at all anymore, um, I, I don't have a rule of thumb. I need to go in and just see what it needs. And sometimes somebody will tell me, hey, it needs a kitchen, it needs a bathroom, it needs floors. They can tell me the square footage on the floors and I'll say, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a $30,000 rehab. That's what I'll say. Right. Yeah. Um, but there's no, but I don't use the square footage number when I, when I figure it out. Yeah. No, I think that is, I, I, I'm the same way. I don't, I don't really, cause then a lot of times it's the inventory is different too. The market, like the sub market's different. So like, you know, the cost per square foot to renovate a house in Westchester is going to be different than the cost of square foot to renovate a house in Orange County because the buyer is going to be different. So the biggest thing I look for, and you mentioned a great point that I want to hit on here is like, you know, when you walk a property and you've walked enough properties to know what's going on, the biggest thing to know is like you said, what not to renovate and what to renovate. So I'll use an example. I did a house where I did a, it was a technically a gut renovation, even though it really wasn't. The basement was gutted, but then we gutted the basement, but upstairs we, we did mostly cosmetic and kitchen. But this property, for example, it had a wall in the middle of the kitchen and living room. And that like kind of prevented the flow from the house, uh, prevented flow in the house. So we took the wall down, which was necessary. So we opened it up, put an island in the middle, which is not that hard to do. But like, for example, if I were to go get white shaker cabinets, I would have wasted, you know, four grand or whatever, because I didn't need white shaker cabinets. I should have painted the cabinets white. That was my mistake. It ended up selling. But you, you need to not, you need, when you're rehabbing a house, you need to know if I put a dollar into this, how am I going to get two or three or $4 out of the construction, right? Because a lot of people I see there, they waste money like rehabbing the landscaping or putting something stupid in the house. It's not going to be appealing to the buyer. And I've always found that kitchens and bathrooms really sell the property and the price, obviously it's a function of price, as you would say, but I see a lot of rehabbers going out there and they, they just, 
every house they do, they just gut the whole entire thing when they, they didn't need to. And I'm like, you know, and some of them, it's easier for them to do that. I get it. They have construction crews and whatnot, but over rehabbing is, is such a, um, it's such a bad sickness in our business, especially in New York. Cause when you over rehab, now you're going to get, you're going to put yourself in a situation where you can potentially get the building department involved when you didn't have to, you know, the neighbor sees, you know, the cabinets coming out of the house and they call or the neighbor sees, you know, you open the, they look through the window and the wall is open. So you, there's so many things you can do to prevent that. You need to really know essentially what is your buyer going to look for and what, who is your buyer for that product, right? And then that's something where you need to know your submarkets. Like I'm sure down in Nassau County, you know, some areas like, I don't really know, I mean, maybe like Oyster Bay or something is just probably going to have a more luxury type yeah. finish versus an Elmont. You have you know, to know the market and, and also the price point is a big indicator of that, right? You're not going to finish a $900,000 ARV house the same way you're going to finish a 500000 ARV house. So it's important to know. So sometimes people ask me, well, how do I know what ARV means or what do I need to do to get it to ARV? And I usually tell them it really comes down to like four, five or six things. I go, the exterior of the house has to be okay. The roof can't obviously can't leak. The, the exterior siding or whatever fascia is out there has to look okay. And then the mechanicals all have to work. The plumbing has to be good. The heating has to be good. Electrical has to be good. It doesn't need, you know, people think that I have to upgrade every single house I have to 200 amps. There are plenty of houses that are small. They don't need 200 amps. You don't need a new panel. And inside, if the kitchen is pretty new, the bathrooms are new, the floors look good and the walls look good, I go, that's it. That's it. That's ARV. Now, maybe if you're going to do that and not do some of the things, take down walls or do other things, it might, you might have to sell it for 5% less than the top of the market. But the idea of look, and, and this is how, I, and for four years I did this. I looked at what can we do to make this better constantly. I remember I put in at a house, one of the first houses I did had a garage that was right in the front. And I put like special siding, like nail light siding. It was like cedar, cedar shingle looking siding that, which was yeah. like thousand dollars. I, mean, I, I, I highly doubt I got $1 more for that. Like those are the kind of things that the real sickness, right? Is, is this might as well, right? Because once you start, well, I might as well. Like the guy goes, hey, we're taking out this wall. Well, you might, you want to add uh, 16 more outlets and an extra and an extra 14 feet of baseboard that I'm going to run up the bottom. And you go, yeah, that sounds good. And you know, the, oh, but it's an extra four thousand dollars. And these things just keep adding up. So uh, I'm I'm a big believer in keeping rehabs as small as possible because they're always going to be more. So if I keep it small and it's a little more, it's in check. But if I have it large and it's more and it's a problem. So we have a mutual friend who's doing a rehab now that I, I thought it was going to be a thirty thousand dollar job and it's turning into like a sixty thousand dollar job. And uh, he's still going to make a lot of money on the deal, but it's, he keeps calling me and he goes, should I do this too? Should I do this too? And I'm like, no, don't do it. Like, don't do it. Like there was one thing we did. We, we sort of added a change of staircase around. So they had access to a access to the, to a bedroom upstairs that wasn't through another bedroom. Like that, I think is a big deal because then you can really have a three bedroom house instead of a two bedroom house. But like, he keeps going, should I do this? Should I do this? And I go, don't do it. Don't do it. And, um, that's really how rehab works. Rehab works every time you do something, it leads to other things. Every time you pull, every time you got renovate a, a bathroom, you pull down those walls, you always find something. Oh, this termite, this termite yeah. down. We got to replace them. We got to replace the studs. Oh, the shower body uh, is really old. We got to we got to replace that. Like, just keeps things just keep going. The, the smaller you can keep the rehab, the, the happier you're going to be. A hundred percent. And you you almost don't want to know what's going on sometimes. Like if it's something that's not going to like harm the consumer, you know, if it's like something minuscule that you think to the naked eye, it's like, Oh my God, that's bad, but it's really not a big deal. You know? So you got to keep that in check. 
So there's a few things I do with rehabs when I do them that, that really make the property very appealing at not a high cost. So I'll just rattle off a few of these things. Um, so the number one is the lighting of the house. Like that's something that people don't really realize, like, especially in the wintertime in the Northeast, it gets dark out at like five o'clock. So if you can swap out all, like a lot of people, the perception they have of these houses when they walk them is like, they got old lighting in there. The, the it's like, looks like crap. It's like this lamp here in my hotel room. And if you just put in like nice new LED, like energy efficient lights and paint the property, that is going to make the thing look like, like it is in a magazine because you just paint the, you, you light, you lit the property well, and then you use the nice color code. And I'm not like a color code guy, but you just use like a logical gray to make the house look newer and you paint the ceilings white, just like my hotel room here, if someone's watching this and that makes the whole property look beautiful, right? And it's cheap. That doesn't cost a lot of money. Right. You know, another thing I've noticed too is, you know, uh, you know, if there's hardwood floors on a property, like let's say under the carpet, there's hardwood. That's great. You just sand and stain that thing and it looks brand new. And it, you know, the perception of the house is totally different. If you don't want to put in hardwood floors and I, I would never really recommend putting in hardwood floors. That's extremely expensive. There's this thing. I'm actually stepping on it right now. It's vinyl plank flooring. It's plastic. It snaps on. And anytime you see a rehab property, when you're comping houses, most likely if there's not hard hardwoods, they have this vinyl plank. It's either like brown or gray. And it makes these properties not that well. It's it's not dirt cheap, but it's not crazy expensive like hardwood. And just throwing vinyl with lights and painting the property. Flooring yeah. wall makes a huge difference, right? Though that laminate, I've been using that for years. It's really not that bad. No. I used to buy the lumber liquidators by the, by the truckload. And uh, the same, I used to buy grays. They look, it almost looks like wood and yeah. uh, feels good. I used to buy the thicker one. But um, another a big shortcut that I found, which has made me a ton of money, is a lot of the bathrooms in my area are really old and they have a horrible color tile. So there'll be yellow, pink, blue tile. And that's gross looking. And that screams old and horrible. What I do is I'll bring in a reglazer. And the guy will come in and reglaze the tub. Sometimes the tubs are pink or blue. Reglaze the tub and the walls all white. I may have to put down a new tile on the floor, but a bathroom floor is usually tiny. And then I'll replace the toilet and the vanity. And I can pretty much get an entire new bathroom for under 1500 bucks doing that. Wow, and that's crazy. People, and, people, and people love it, right? It's white walls. The tile work, a lot of this tile work that was done in like in the 40s and 50s was very precise, beautiful tile work. Subway tile or square tile, it looks good. It just does, it's just a horrible color. So when you glaze it white and you do a, a, nice, a nice tile floor, the whole, the whole bathroom, 1500 bucks, and it looks, and people, and people, think, it's, think, people think it's brand new. So totally. That's a huge shortcut that I found. Totally. That's, that's a nugget, especially to bathroom. People think they're, people yeah, think it costs more than they really And I know people of the same house we were sort of competing for, and people said, oh, I need a new bathroom here. I got to I gotta rip it all up. And I'm thinking, there's no way I'm ripping up that bathroom. I'm just going to reglaze it and replace uh, the toilet and the battery. Totally. And then it's the small things, too, that, like, make the big difference, like just painting something. Like, you know, that, that's like where, you know, especially, like, if you really itemize a bathroom, like a vanity is, like, 190 bucks, you know, a toilet is 150 well, it's 150 bucks. bucks, not expensive. Yeah, cheap. You know, you got if you got to put a tub in or you got to tile a shower, that could get a little more expensive. Once yeah. you pull out that tub, you gotta you gotta retile because you gotta pull out the tiles around the tub. So yep. it's then you gotta probably retile the whole bathroom, and that's always a nightmare. Yeah, that's where it can get expensive for sure. You know, and, but bathrooms, I still think you can keep bathrooms within re, you know sub four grand if you really have a good contractor and they're you're you're not getting ripped too hard. You know, if, if you're doing the thing. 
it's just what it, sometimes what you when you down those walls. Yeah, no, for uh, sure. Up oh, your audio, Mike. Internet connection is unstable. You got me. Yeah, you're can good. You I can hear your audio. Yeah, can you hear I can me? Hear you. Okay. Um, yeah, you're you're floating in and out a little bit, but um, you know your audio seems to be better than your video. Okay. Here. You there? Yes. Yes. All right, you're good. Salt Lake City Wi-Fi. That's not the not not the best Wi-Fi in the country, I guess. Maybe it's the heat. So um, when you're when you're rehabbing, the biggest thing too is the kitchen. So we're going to get into the kitchen here as Michael's audio loads and, um, you know, we get him back on the, uh, the kitchens is the next big topic we're going to cover here. And this, this is really makes or breaks a renovation on a property. I think Michael's joining us again. Wait a couple minutes. We'll have everyone soak in the knowledge as we're waiting for the internet to load up again. I'm back. You're back. Unstable. Are you on Wi-Fi or the cell hotspot? I thought the cell hotspot was better, but maybe oh, you're the good to go now. I don't know. You're, you're crystal clear now. Okay, good. Crystal clear. I can't see you, but I can hear you, so that's fine. All right, now Perfect. I can see. You. Yeah, you're good. Um, so the second thing I was going to mention was kitchens. So here's how you hack kitchens. So number one, if you can take down a wall that doesn't have electric, that's very straightforward. That's just sheetrock and some studs. Uh, but if you got to take the electric and reconfigure the electric, that's really not that big of a deal. It's, it sounds scarier than it is. If you can just open up a, a upper level and, and make it make take the wall down and, and combine the kitchen with the living room and the dining room, that is going to make properties look, you're going to change the paradigm of these properties at very minimal cost. And the biggest thing I look for with kitchens is, do I have to change the cabinets? Because the cabinets can get kind of pricey. Most of the time, I'm going to be changing the appliances and the, the countertops aren't that bad. But really, I see where people start spending a lot of money is they, they change cabinets that they don't need to change. And all you need to do with cabinets most of the time is paint them white, right? That's like if you paint cabinets white and change the fixtures, super cheap, and it makes them look brand new. If the cabinets are falling down and they're not like, that's obvious. But a lot of these cabinets, you know, especially these expensive ones, they almost look like the old ones are just obviously new ones. And cleaning, changing the fixtures and painting cabinets is a huge yeah. act where you're not going to overspend on these rehabs. Changing hardware. It's, so, it's such a weird thing. A lot of the older cabinets don't have any hardware. Like they just, you just open the thing, but it just adding nice new hardware to cabinets and painting it for sure makes a huge difference in how the whole kitchen looks. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So those are like two, like really the things that are going to sell properties. Now, when it comes to the big ticket items, I think that's probably what everyone's waiting for. It's like, well, what about if it really needs like a lot of like, you know, like serious work, you know, plumbing, electric, all that kind of stuff. So here's like my rule of thumb with, with the boilers and all that type of stuff, furnaces, depending on what you're working on. Uh, and also septics, because that, that happens too in some areas. So when it comes to changing out a boiler, I first thing I want to do is see if I can get that boiler just fixed or serviced and, 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 and see really what the lifespan is in that boiler. When was the last time it was serviced? You know, what, what is it causing any issues right now? Is it the winter time? Is the heat working? So 
you want to try your best to not have to change the big ticket items if you don't need to. Because like, for example, when you're doing plumbing work, if you need to change out a boiler and repipe a house, I mean that if the house has like not been winterized, that is where rehabbing can go off the rails. Like what, is, what do you see on your end with that stuff? Same thing. So, so I'm going to look, I always look at the boiler. If the boiler is a, is a, is smaller in size, I'm always going to look to, to uh, make it work and see if we can, if it can be repaired. If it's one of these huge boilers and I buy houses with like boilers, like they're as big as cars. I know I got to get rid of that boiler. Right. And of course it's always asbestos. Sometimes it's asbestos. Yeah. Those big ones. So yeah. It's a pain. Um, but yeah, you, you want to avoid doing major plumbing work because again, it always leads to other, other things. Um, but when I, when I first started, I was an, I was an imbecile and I, I thought that everybody wanted gas only. So I, I bought a house that had like a pretty new oil boiler and I would replace it with gas. That was just stupid because there are a lot of places in my area where they, there is no gas. Gas doesn't come to the street. So people are accepting of oil. Now, are there some buyers who only want gas? Yeah, but there are enough buyers who want, who want oil. I remember the first time I left an oil boiler in the house, it really made me, it, it made, it gave me like, uh, like uh, anxiety, like, oh my God, I'm going to lose these potential buyers. We sold it for the exact same price we thought we would. So um, you got to look at them. At, so I always look at the electrical box and I look at the boiler and I get an idea of whether this is something I'm going to need to do or not. Um, when it comes to electrical also, so I bought houses that have, still have fuse boxes. They still have fuses where you pull them out. You're probably too young to know what that is. But when I grew up, that's how, there were no circuit breakers when I grew up. So anything that's got fuses or doesn't have a main circuit breaker switch, I know I'm going to probably have to replace the electrical box. But anything that's got an electrical box, I'm probably not going to. Oh, Mike has another audio issue, but he's talking right now about, you know, when it comes to electric, if you have like a fuse box is basically, they were, they were done in like the 60s and 70s and 80s. And that that's a, um, that's a, an electrical source where a new buyer is going to see that or prefer or not preferably, most likely the home inspector is going to see that. And they're going to turn around and they are going to, they're going to, you know, raise a red flag and they're going to turn around and, and they're going to, uh, Mike, you there? Yeah, they're, they're going to, they're going to just, the home inspector is going to see the red flag with the fuse box and they're going to, you're just trying to prevent problems that are most likely going to happen at, before the contract gets signed with the inspection. So that's why the fuse box, you know, it, it, what, what does it cost for you to re like do like full, full blown electric upgrade on the house? Like if you got to replace a fuse box and put a, put a new, I have to put a new electrical panel, it'll probably cost between, um, 1500 and, and 3000 depending on how many amps yeah and that's the world. yeah and that's the something problem, that, the problem is that when you sometimes you do that and then and then you realize that the wiring is really bad and then the the, the electrician won't do it unless he rewires everything and then rewiring everything makes them you got to break down all these walls to <laughs> run they call them home runs right where they want to run every single fixture back to the home to the to electrical and that that you know that could be 10 grand yeah exactly and that's where you can get in trouble because let's say you don't do that. And all of a sudden at the end of the rehab, you just repaint and she rocked the entire property. And now you have to go back and start from square one. That's when you can get into serious trouble. And that's where the rehab bills start ticking up, 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 and up is because you didn't know in advance what you should have done. And it's always like, you want to start with those big ticket items and then work your way back into doing the, the, the sheet rock, work your way back into doing the floors, work your way back into painting the cabinets. Cause if you don't get, Anything cosmetic should be do, done done last. The, the wow. main systems, the plumbing, the electrical, the roof, the windows, those things have to be handled first. For sure. 
when it comes to windows and like exterior work now, what, what do you see like down in, in Long Island when it comes, like if you have to like around the Hudson Valley, it's like about 350, 400 bucks a window, like just for the window itself. So when you're doing like windows, like let's just say exterior work, windows, roof, siding, rule of thumb, is that costing you somewhere between 10 and 15 grand usually with all that? Well, the siding is really, if I have to reside a house, it's usually a lot of money. I mean, it could be 10 grand to reside a house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I find that very often I don't have to reside a house. Even if it's an old material, I can usually paint it. And if I paint it a decent color, um, it'll look good. Um, roof is also, every house is different. So I, I've, I've done roofs for, for $6,000 and I've done roofs for $16,000. It really depends on how many square the roof is. Sometimes you don't even realize how big the roof is um, until the roofer gets up there and starts, starts counting. Um, and with windows, as long as they're vinyl windows that open and close and, and lock, I'm fine with them. If they're older, uh, single pane windows, I'll probably yeah. replace them. Um, but you got to, you got every, again, every, every situation is different. I'm like a basement window. I may not repair, but, but the, for the first floor and second floor, I will. It's, it's, it's on case by case basis. Yeah, no, exactly. Something with roofs that I've learned too. There's two tricks I've learned with roofs. And the first one is that most of the time, all you got to do is put another layer on the roof, layer which in. is instead of having to rip off the roof and retar, it's just that is where it gets expensive. You're taking the roof to the studs. Another thing I've noticed with roofs is I always have my contractor do roofs on Saturdays. You know why? Because on Saturdays, the building department isn't out or they can do it on Sundays if they prefer Sundays, if they want to, you know, have fun on Saturday. But if you can get a, a roof done with minimal resistance, always try to do that on the weekend. Always try to do clean outs on the weekend. Um, if you're going to get a dumpster involved, depending on where you are, try your best to do a lot of that work on the weekend. That's obvious to the, to the naked eye on the street. And then the internal stuff, you could focus more on the weekdays, but the last thing you really want, I mean, listen, if you're getting permits, it's a different story, but if you're trying to do work, you know, that, that doesn't, that might not require a permit or you don't want to open up a can of worms. If you can turn around and get a lot of that stuff done on the weekend, it's, it's just going to be easier. You know, it's you know what's funny? What's funny is that in my area where there's crazy municipalities, I don't think there's one area that requires a permit to replace a roof. A I, know by you, they, I know by you they do, and by us they don't. Really? So that the, roofing, the roofing, I don't mind, but a clean out or something where you don't want to get the attention of the municipality, I, uh, I'm going to try and do that, you know, put a, put a dumpster in the back, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Another, another hack I've noticed with clean outs is like, we'll hoard all the crap in the garage and it'll look like a hoarder house. And then like the last day. Yeah. Yeah. Bring in three trucks and fill them up and get them out of there. There's a guy, there's a guy Hershey who we both met or I know, and you met uh, last week and he, I wholesaled them a house and I went to go walk it like mid job site. And, uh, I walked like there was a fence and I walked behind the fence and it looked like it was like, uh, you know, that, that show storage wars or something. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? And he's like, Oh no, we're just saving all the, the good stuff for last, you know? Cause you don't want to, you don't want to put yourself in situations where you're going to have the building department get involved when they might not need it to get involved, you know? So you want to just mitigate that. Cause like we said on the last show, another thing we'll, we'll, we'll this will be our final point with the rehabs, like on how to like do them the right way is like, let's talk about stop work orders, what they are and, and, and how to go about them. Cause I'm sure every investor is going to run into them if they rehab enough houses. So what, Michael, what is a stop work order? Stop work order is when a municipality see, thinks, believes that you're doing work on a house that required a permit and you didn't get a permit. So they'll issue a stop work order on it. What the, 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 the strength of a stop work order is that if you continue to do work, it becomes a criminal offense and they can arrest you. So you don't want to do work with a stop work order. 
but um, every municipality is different as to what a stop work order means. Some, for some, it's just a 30, set, 30 day, for some it's no pause at all. They just want you to come in, pay for a permit and come and do inspections. For some, it's a 30 day stop. For some, it's a 60 day stop. But my general rule is it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. And I don't mind if I get, if I'm doing work without a permit that is on, let's say borderline needs a permit and I get a stop work order, I don't cry and say, oh no, I knew that was a risk that I took and it's a business decision I took. There are places in my area where it could take eight months to get a permit. So if I took a chance to do work without it and now I got to wait and get a permit, that sucks, but I would have had to wait before anyway. So um, you'll see stop work orders on, on, on buildings, on houses all over my area where people get, get stop work orders. I see them all the time. Um, but sometimes if you know somebody there, they can get rid of it quickly. You, you know, again, it's, it's, it's not something you want, but I, I think that if you do enough renovation, it's something that's going to going to happen at, at some point in your career. hundred percent. hundred percent. And it's just, it's, it's just like with, with the stop work thing, like you, you just, if you know in advance, you can get it right, and you know your municipality. Like I'm sure like, Michael, what areas in Long Island are like notorious for really gridlocking you with the stop work order? Because like, obviously you have so many towns and villages and stuff like, well, let's just give this like more some context. Now, to where town of Hempstead is, is, is pretty tough with tough stop work orders, but it's a big town and there's a lot of inspectors. So every inspection inspector area is different. Village of Hempstead, which is in the town of Hempstead is very tough. The village of Malvern is very tough. There's so many. Some villages are really nice and they, they're like, just come in and file a permit. And some villages, you know, treat you like a criminal and they want, they have to go to court. So I've had to go to court several times over stupid things like that. Over a stop work order, they make you to court? Yeah. The village of Hempstead, any violation you get, they make you come into court and spend, waste half a day while a, uh, while a DA pleads you down and the judge yells at you and berates you. Oh my gosh. What a, what a disaster. But, and right. in the town of Hempstead, is that consist of a lot of like the main hubs where the subdivisions are located, like in your area? So the whole Nassau County only really has three towns. It's town of Hempstead, town of North Hempstead, and the town of Oyster Bay. The town of North Hempstead, we haven't mentioned, they're the worst, I think the worst municipality on the face of the planet. Um, they're disgusting and it takes a year, it could take a year to get a permit there. It's insane. I think I'm still waiting for a permit that I ordered seven years ago. I just sold the house and left money in escrow. I didn't even bother with it. But um, so the town of Hempstead is big. I think it's the biggest town in the country. There's there's a uh, there's a lot of people in the town of Hempstead. But it's but again, it's it's area to area. There are some inspectors that go out there and, and look for problems, and there are some inspectors that are nice guys and are you know will work with you. So hundred percent know the area. You got to know the area. Where is is Long Beach in the town of Hempstead? Yeah, but Long Beach in the in the in Nassau County, there are also two cities that have their own jurisdiction. So there's the city of Long Beach and the city of Glen Cove. So they're under their own they're under their own uh, jurisdiction. That is just there's just so much crap down there. Like I'm just like why is it so like why don't they just make it like yeah it's weird like up in oh, the Hudson like, Valley it's different. Most of these villages and cities have no business even being existing. Like the, think about all the redundancy that's there. Like I, I go to some of these villages and there's 14 people in the village hall working full time and I'm like this is insane. A lot of these villages have their own police departments. They don't need that. There's Nassau County Police, but. People are not, these things are not going away. That's just the way it is. Yeah, that's true. And uh, the thing with, that's why the property taxes get so high. They have all that, those mouths to feed, you know? And it's, exactly. it's interesting. It, Michael, I, have you done rehabs in Suffolk County? Because that's a little bit different out there. Yes, it's different. Yeah. It's the same idea. Each There's a bunch of different towns in, in Suffolk County. Yeah. 
and you got to just deal, deal with the individual town. Some some are some are good and some are not as good. Some are bad. Now, what, why is why is Suffolk so much cheaper? Because you think Suffolk would be more expensive because it's near the Hamptons and it's got more water well, coverage. Suffolk County is much bigger than Nassau County, but most of Suffolk County is 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 um, less dense and further away from New York City. So I think that's why most of Suffolk County is cheaper, which is further from the city. Nassau is really close to the city, so people can easily commute into Manhattan. And before pandemic, most people did that. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know. I I thought all these towns that were in Nassau, I didn't know they were in Suffolk. Like, I, I didn't know how big Suffolk was compared to Nassau. And Nassau is really almost like a mini Queens, you know? Yes. Yeah, I mean, there's really only two counties on Long Island. Suffolk is much bigger. It even has a slightly higher population than than Nassau. Nassau is much smaller, much more densely populated. Yeah. Now, with your with, with your one more example on the rehab um, side of it, to use a little case study, I know that you you I was listening to a podcast the other day, and you were talking about you bought a seven unit property, and it was like a total disaster, like the rehab. So, like, what what did that whole thing really consist of, and how did you go about that? Because that's a big job, big property, big money. Like, just walk everyone through how you kind of approach that, and then we'll, we'll kind of wrap up on the show. I mean, it was it was a crack house. I mean, there were there were there were literal crack addicts in the in the property. One one that was living there had a hole in her roof, complete hole. You could see up to the sky. She used to have a garbage can underneath it for when it rained. And she went bonkers when I when I bought the property because I started doing renovations, just cleanouts on some of the other units. And she would literally stick her head out the window and scream at the contractors, that I'm calling town on you. You're in trouble. Uh, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure you got arrested seven times here. So I don't think they're going to really take your word for it. But we needed to really gut renovate the whole thing. And we had to make certain decisions. Like there were there were gas stoves in the units. We changed it to electric um, because I didn't want to deal with a bunch of gas meters. Um, and we needed to change the boiler. And we needed to run. I ran separate. There weren't separate uh, thermostats for each unit. So I ran separate uh, heating. Uh, um, what the hell is the thing? Heating runs for each unit so that everybody would control their own heat. By the way, that's a big deal. When I buy any kind of multifamily, even a two-family, if there if there's only one thermostat, I'm I'm gonna have a guy do it because the worst calls you get are I'm too cold, I'm too hot, or this guy's driving me crazy. I can't stand those. So everybody gets their own thermostat. They still complain, but at least it's not based on the other guy. Um, so we had to run that. We had to run a lot of heating pipe. The roof, like I said, you know the roof was a disaster because there was a hole looking. So we had to redo the roof, which is expensive because it's it wasn't a flat roof, but it was it's a pain and. Um, we got rent. We got renovated the entire property, everything from really down to the studs, and redid it. And I used a horrible contractor. A lot of that stuff is coming back to haunt me now. I think we've had it five years. Like all the toilets are breaking. I got to replace them, and there's something else going wrong all the time. But I know. But I know that I screwed up because I used a horrible contractor. Yeah. Um, but um, it was a big. It was a big job. I mean, it cost, I, mean I think it cost four hundred grand in renovation. Oh my God! You basically built a new house almost. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a big job. It was a lot. It took a long time. We need, and we obviously needed permits for everything. And uh, it was, it was, it was a big job. It took, took a long time. And what, what did you, did you, did, was there, were there tenants in every unit when you bought it or were there some vacant units that you were able to just turn around? There were some vacant, well, there were some vacant. I paid a bunch of people to, to get out. Um, we paid, we paid off people to leave. Some people had left. Some people left without us paying the crack, that crack, Whore who was up there, we had to uh, evict. She left, thank God. Um, you know, it's it was it was different. It was it was really it was, the building was disgusting. Oh my 
gosh. And now you're now you're happy because I mean that that deal. You I remember you told me about that deal a couple of years ago, and my eyes almost popped out of my socket when I heard the profitability of that thing. Like, is that thing just a? Is that your best deal like that you have right now that you're keeping? That's like a cash cow. Yeah, it's probably the best deal I'm keeping, but um, you know, it has it has pros and cons. I self manage it, so I don't I don't I I sort of deal with some kind of some you know, I get people calling me that people are walking too loud above their heads I, like i can't i hate those things like uh, but but it's it's a good deal it's 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 a very cash flow positive that's and that's rare to find in long island obviously we've talked about that on previous it's hard time. to find a multifamily at all i mean it's it's uh there's very few is very few uh properties that are like uh you know five to ten units they're very few yeah especially too and i mean just rehabbing i just did a rehab on, a, on an apartment small apartment building mixed use building and that was um you know, that no, that was a whole other animal because there's, you know, you got different units and you, you don't want to over rehab stuff. You got to figure, think about the tenants. I'm actually selling it now, but yeah, I mean, there's just, there's so much to go with rehabbing. And I think our episode today really kind of laid the foundation with it. Um, one more thing I want to cover. I forgot to mention this um, general contractors doing the whole thing versus hiring out subs, to do the entire thing and having a project manager doing that yourself. What have you done in the past and how, how has that worked for you? I've done, I've done both and it really depends on how good they are and how much more the GC is going to charge you to run the, to run the, to run the deal. So it's got to make sense financially. Right. And you have to figure out how much time you want to be involved also. Um, Managing contractors is very, very tough. I know you have a good project manager out there who does that for you. And that's a big deal. I don't have anybody to do that. Um, And managing contractors is probably the, one of the hardest parts about rehab because most contractors are not good businessmen cannot manage multiple jobs, um, are not going to do what they say they're going to do. And even if they're, I'm not saying they're dishonest. I'm just saying they say they're going to do X today or this week and it doesn't get done. And it's easy to just not be on top of it, but you got, you got to be on top of every job you're rehabbing just to make sure that things are, are moving along according to schedule and that no major mistakes are being made. Yeah. And that's another thing too, with the, with the, with the, so what I'm saying, right. General contractors, so listeners, if they don't understand, like when you're when, when you hire a GC, the GC basically runs the entire job and they have the subs do all the work, right? And they make a little markup on that. But when you hire subcontractors, that just means that like you're hiring a, 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 a carpenter for the carpentry work, you're hiring plumber. yeah, plumber, a roofer, whatever. So you're going to save a lot generally if you do the sub route, but you got to make sure you manage that, that you manage them high and tight and you, right. you got to make sure the flow of the rehab is going in sequence. The order it gets done is very important, right? You don't want you don't want you don't want to put in new floors and then paint the next day, right? And then screw up the floors or something stupid like that. You don't want to you don't want to bring a plumber in after you finish the walls who then says I got to break open the walls, right? So a GC is supposed to manage that. Some do a better job than others, but these are things you need to know. The the order of the work you do is really important. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So. Hopefully after this episode, people can take, take this and they can apply it and they can rehab with uh, better decisions and they can avoid some of the silly stuff Michael and I have done. So once again, we appreciate everyone for listening. And I definitely know they got some value from today's uh, episode when it comes to doing rehabs, because that, that's a very common question that, that gets asked in any real estate venture is, oh, my, I don't know the repairs or my, my sibling can do the repairs and I'm going to find the deals. It's like, no, no, you're not going to. I'm going to move in. I'm going to move in and do all, we, me and my wife are going to do the work ourselves. Bad idea. That sounds like someone I want to wholesale a house to so I can make a big spread, you know? That's funny. Um, Well, I hope everyone got some value and uh, we're looking forward to the next episode. And if you are getting value from these shows, if you can leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this, copy and paste the show, share it with some friends. And uh, we'll see everyone on the next episode. Take care, everyone.